This podcast is part of the ACAST Creator Network. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to The Stand with Eamon Dunphy. Now, in 1992, Bill Clinton was vying with George H. Bush, the first Bush for the US presidency, and his communications guru, the legendary figure of James Carville, gave Clinton a line which Clinton successfully used in that election. When asked what the key issue was, he said... It's the economy, stupid. And that phrase went in to the English language and has never been forgotten. And of course, Clinton became president. And by means we don't have to go into here, the American economy did in fact thrive. And now we are all concerned with the economy. Uh, uh, There is a geopolitical crisis. There is the war, Putin's war in Ukraine. But there are other shifts as well. And it's a pleasure to welcome to the program Paul Somerville. Paul is a markets analyst uh, and a very good one. And last time we spoke to him was in April. And a lot of what he said, particularly about inflation, has come to pass. And when we spoke to him in January, which was the day the stock markets around the world were at their all-time high, Paul issued cautionary words. Paul, good morning and thank you very much for joining us. Um, good morning, Aaron. Now, that great phrase, it's the economy stupid, it's very, very relevant today everywhere, partly because of the energy crisis, which is caused, we believe, in large part by Putin's war, but also an inflationary spiral, which when it first arrived in the United States, was described by the chair of the Federal Reserve as a temporary problem. It's anything but temporary. Those words have been proven quite wrong, haven't they? Yeah. I mean, maybe if I just give you a run through about what's been happening in financial markets in 2022, you're right. When we were here on the 5th of January, we were suggesting then that even there was lots of problems within the equity market. The equity market in the speculative area had peaked in January 2021, not January 2022, but we were expecting trouble ahead for the broad markets. And that's exactly what's happened. It's been an absolute bloodbath in markets for the last nine months. And that's no no exaggeration. The S&P in September was down about 9%, over 9%. That's the largest one-month drop since March 2020. We've had the longest streak of quarterly losses since 2008. And we've had 
S&P declining more than 52 times, more than 1% this year. So for the year, the Dow Jones is down 21%, the S&P is down 25%, and the Nasdaq's down a whopping 33%. But it's not the stock market so much because the bond market, there's absolute carnage in the bond market. This is the first time we've seen stocks and bonds falling in tandem for three consecutive quarters since 1976. And if you had a 60-40 stocks and bonds portfolio, which is a balanced portfolio, you're down about 21% this year. So basically what happened was the last eight times the S&P has fallen in a calendar year, bonds always did well to sort of help your portfolio, but not this time. Many investors own bonds expecting them to be a ballast, you know, to offset the equity risk. But this time they're just concrete boots bringing down their uh, portfolio. So... When I mean, I bonds, those numbers. Just let me, for our listeners and for my own uh, clarity, um, bonds are government bonds. Yeah, are, these are mostly government and bonds. And therefore are regarded as more secure than any other form of investment. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. And they've been going up for many years. Bond prices go up when interest rates go down. So interest rates have been going down, as we know, for many, many years, and bond prices have been going up. But the risks involved in those bonds were hidden in the marketplace to most investors. But when I give you those numbers, they seem pretty stark, but it doesn't explain really what's been going on for the last nine months. Because when I was here with you in April, I was explaining what happened in March. And what happened in March was very, very interesting, because investors were actually ignoring everything that was going on. They were ignoring the war, they were ignoring inflation, and they were ignoring the signs of recession. And they were running into the equity markets. There was a huge move into the equity markets. Jim Cramer was coming out on American TV saying, look, the bear market's over. The S&P went up 11% in 11 days. The Nasdaq went up 16% in 14 days. And you had all the fang stocks like Amazon, Apple, they all had lost in uh, January and February, and they gained in March. But if you're sitting here now, you realize, Jesus, what an awful time to invest in the market. Google is now down 33%. Microsoft down 30%. Amazon down 31%. But it even gets even more nutty than that. Because if you go to June, it's like that movie. I don't know if you remember the movie Independence Day. There's a scene, a rooftop scene, where all the, um, you know, the nutcases are going up to the top of the building as the aliens are coming in to blow up the world. Well, that's what the investors were doing. They're running towards this market, not away from it. In between June and August, the S&P went up 17% as people are rushing into the marketplace thinking they're getting bargains. Now, of the, all those gains were wiped off by, you know, by the mid-August. So what I'm trying to get at is here is the market, if you're an investor or you're watching these markets, you've got to be very clear. This market is working its way lower, and it's working its way lower in a strong, persistent, and orderly fashion. We've seen no panic. We've seen no capitulation as of yet, which means to me that I think we're nowhere near the bottom of this market. The second thing is the hopium of the masses. And this is basically what investors have been coming to. The tectonic plates of the marketplace and the financial system are moving. And investors are having a really big trouble adapting to this new environment. They believe the old environment is still here and the central banks are going to bail them out. I mean, never have so many people or investors needed to believe it's still April 2020 when the environment has totally and utterly changed. So you need to keep your wits about you. Well, let me ask you about uh, the U.S. Federal Reserve for a start and central banks in general. Transitory was the word used about inflation 
by the chair of the Federal Reserve. Um, yeah, well, I mean, the, the Federal Reserve and all the central banks have just made an unbelievably big mistake over the last couple of years. Well, I would suggest they've made it over the last 10 years, but let's just go with the last couple of years. So in October 2020 was when the big mistake was made. And that's when the Federal Reserve made a, fu- a seismic and fundamental change to their policy. They changed their inflationary target to the average of 2% of the long run. And the second thing they said was, we will not be preemptive. If inflation comes we want inflation. We're not going to do nothing about it. If inflation comes, we will not put up interest rates. And that is basically what they got. They have been printing money like it's going out of fashion. The central banks have put in about $26 trillion into the financial system. And that has tsunami of liquidity is washing around. Uh, was now, that to do with COVID? Some of it was before COVID, and then obviously there was even more on the back of COVID. But it's been going on for years. But yeah, this afterburners of the liquidity supernova came in during COVID. But then what happened with the Fed was we got to December 2021. They said inflation was transitory. Or sorry, we get rid of inflation. It's not transitory anymore. But don't worry about it because the economy is still strong. And I don't know if you remember, Eamon, on Irish radio particularly, but this was all over the world. The ads were just ubiquitous. Get your money into the stock market. Don't rest it. Invest it. Because, of course, the stock market is the place to make all your gains in inflation. We were cautioning at that time. That is a really poor message because if you're investing in a stagflationary environment with very high valuations, there's going to be trouble. Now, we know. It's come to October 2022. And what's the Fed done now? We're going to keep at it. We're going to keep up putting interest rates. They're blaming the war. They're saying the war caused inflation. The war has not caused any of this inflation. It has exacerbated the situation, but it hasn't caused it. The causing of this inflationary supernova is the policies of the central banks for many, many years. Let me ask you about something that everyone will remember. This is the mini budget brought in by... Liz Truss's government uh, on its virtually its first day in office, the Chancellor of the Exchequer, Kwasi Kwarteng, announced what he called a mini budget. In fact, it was much more than a mini budget, but he did it without ref- reference to the Office of uh, Budget Responsibility in Britain, which he was able to do by calling it a mini budget. And he created a situation where the Bank of England on the Monday morning, I think, he announced his budget on a Friday. On the Monday morning, uh, there was a meltdown. The pound had plummeted, and the Bank of England had to buy 65 billion worth of bonds, as I understand it. Yeah, that's correct. And, it would and be- the, so they, there was that was a moment of panic, wasn't it? Yeah, first of all, they didn't have to purchase 65 billion worth of bonds. They have 65 billion in their armory. They've spent about four or five billion so far. Right. But it'd be very, it'd be very wrong to take the UK situation as a unique situation. It's just another fissure that is opening up in the global tectonic plates as they move around. So if we just explain what happened in the UK. Well, first of all, the week before, um, the Japanese had to come into the uh, currency market and spend $20 billion to prop up their currency. The Chinese did similar. In South Korea, they spent 21 billion propping up the currency. And that is all because the dollar is very strong because the US are putting up interest rates and all the other countries are having problems. But you're right. Confidence is very low in the UK government. Just for an example, it's not very complimentary, but um, the financial, the, the guys in the city of London now call the British Prime Minister, her nickname is Daggers. And that stands for Dagenham. And that is because Dagenham is two stops past barking on the tube line. <laughs> it means she's two steps past barking yeah. mad. 
Right. So the confidence is very, very low. But what happened was the central bank in the UK is in the very same position as, say, the ECB and the Fed. They're trying to put up interest rates because inflation is very strong, but the economy is very weak. Already, the, the Bank of England had said that the UK is just coming into a recession and will probably be in a, be in a recession for about a year. So two days before the budget, or the mini budget, the, the central bank put up interest rate by 50 basis points. And the market was very disappointed with that because the market perceived they had to do more. Yes. The market is pricing them to put in, put up interest rates by three quarters of a percent now in, in November. So what happened then? The, the government announced their mini, mini budget and there's huge spending increases in this budget and no means to pay for it. So what does the market straight away think? Right. Well, that means inflation is going to go even higher. That means the central bank is going to have to put up rates even more aggressively. And they moved the guild market or they moved interest rates, should I say, they up very, very rapidly. Now, the guild market went absolutely crazy. But again, don't focus on the story that we've been reading about, about how these Brits are so stupid and they're running their economy. It's all to do with Brexit. You've got to think about the pension funds and you've got to think about the risks within the financial system that are all over the globe. The UK pension funds nearly went bust in that one day. Wasn't that why the Bank of England had to go in heavy? Absolutely. So, so let's explain what liability-driven investments are. So, the pension funds basically are these sleepy old uh, places that are supposed to be looking after long-term investments for many years. Yes. But if you go back to what I said previously, for many years, interest rates have been zero or very low around the world, and they can't make a return that they've promised for investors. Right. So what do you think they do instead of sitting there? Because they can't get their bonuses. They can't buy the new house. They, can't, they need to bet on things. They need to make more money. So what do they do? They go into the derivatives market, very similar to 2008. They start betting with derivatives some of the assets of what they've got to match. Now, it's been called that they needed to hedge their liabilities. This is absolute rubbish. They were not hedging their liabilities. They're taking leverage bets in the derivatives market that interest rates would stay low. What is the derivative market? Explain it to me as if you were talking to a child. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the derivatives just means derived by something else. So there's all types of derivatives, but basically what they were doing was they're making le the great thing about derivatives is you can take out leverage. I think Warren Buffett once came out and said the easiest ways to go bankrupt, leverage ladies and liquor. And basically th these guys, in order to make super normal returns or better returns, they need to make leverage bets and they use, use that by derivatives. But when you do that with derivatives, you need to place margin. So you put down yes. some money, you take your bet, and you hope that those bets will pay off. Okay, now that's absolutely fine when the interest rate environment is very steady, very low, and these bets were paying off for very uh, for a long time. But what happened on that particular day is interest rates went nuts. So the bond yields went much higher, maybe three percent higher in a matter of hours. Now these guys have two choices on that day: they come up with more money to play to keep their derivatives position open or else they sell their gills to get out of their positions. And that's what they ended up doing. They didn't have the money to pony up on that particular day, so they, they made the situation even worse into a doom loop. So what the central bank then came in and said, right, well, we'll buy these bonds off you, and they calmed them down somewhat. But it, it's a misnomer to say that these guys were hedging, that these guys are safe. This is all to do with zero interest rates and the 
the right. absolute risks that are underneath the system that people weren't aware of previously. And we're going to, I mean, everybody's laughing at the Brits, but we're going to have these type of problems in the Europe, in Europe, in Germany, and in Italy, big time in the coming months. Right. I just should say at this point that next Monday, you're starting your autumn course, which is called Investing. It's an educational masterclass. It's very intensive. It's a one-week online course, and it starts next Monday, October 17th. And you are offering listeners to the stand a 50% discount. So if you are interested, if you're listening and you're interested, you can email Paul at info at sam.ie. Info at sam.ie. That's lowercase, and you'll get the details. Now, just to go on to the significance of the United States of America, and in particular, its housing market. Because if I remember rightly, the crash of 2008, the Lehman Brothers stuff and all of that, the catalyst for that was the U.S. housing market collapsing as well, wasn't it? Yeah, that's correct. And I would suggest that the U.S. housing market is really on the precipice again. I mean, when you just, you know, it's pretty easy to work out here. The 30-year bond has gone up to sort of 6.7%, right? That's the highest since July 2007, the largest increase since 1981, I think. Um, So that's gone up from about 2.88%. And house prices, uh, say two years ago, were about 400 grand. The average house price in the U.S. was about $400,000, okay? The average house price now is 522,000. And interest rates have doubled. Right. Right. That that means, you know, with your income, you need an extra twenty-three grand as a down payment, and your monthly payments are going to be a hundred percent increased. So I think the housing uh, housing market in the USA is gonna gonna have some issues here. The you know, put it like this. Last year, right, if you had two and a half thousand dollars and you put twenty percent down, you you could buy a seven hundred and fifty grand house. Today, if you do the same, two and a half thousand down, twenty percent down payment, you can pay. You can buy a house for about four hundred and seventy six grand. So you can see that we're going to have massive moves in this housing market because basically the affordability is absolutely gone. And you know, so I would suspect that we're going to have pending home sales, for an example, already down twenty two percent. Mortgage applications down twelve percent. So again, I wouldn't like to say it's just in the US because I think it's going to happen all over the world. But basically, the financial industry is telling us at the moment, yeah, house prices might come down a little bit in the USA, but I would be very skeptical if they're just going to come down a little bit. And I think world house prices are going to be in for a major, major downdraft if interest rates continue on the upside. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Now, let me ask you, I want to go back to the international situation and in particular to Credit Suisse, which is causing, it's a huge bank, but it's causing uh, serious concern to people who watch these things, and you're one of them. In Ireland, we I read this morning even, although forecasts for growth, economic growth, are down somewhat for, uh, for next year, uh, our economy is said to be, and I'm quoting, in rude good health. Uh, <laughs> why are you laughing, Paul? Well, I'm laughing because I, I, I've, I, I've, ne- I've, never, I've never heard a central banker tell us anything that wasn't uh, optimistic to say, look, everything's okay, you know? Yeah. So, so obviously, you know, no matter what happens, if you remember 2008 um, in, in uh, the USA, there was only This is Davies stockbrokers. Uh, yeah, well, uh, it's their, uh, it's yeah. their growth forecast for the Irish economy. <laughs> oh, well, it is true now for, that the Irish economy is doing a lot better than some of the other economies around the globe. That is absolutely true. And the multinational sector is yes. really helping us, helping us at the moment. But, you know, what, what we're trying to get at here is the the interest rate environment has changed and it's changed very rapidly from sort of more or less zero interest rates to 4% interest rates. Yes. And the market is perceiving, and many people are perceiving, that the Fed will pivot, meaning they're going to stop putting up interest rates soon because inflation has dissipated and then interest rates are going to come back down. For me, I don't think that's going to happen. I think what they're going to do is put up interest rates to a certain place, but then they're going to pause there for a while as they see exactly what's happened. So it's just going to take longer. So I'm expecting more shocks to the system. But back to Credit Suisse, because it's an interesting story. I mean, it's very hard to blow up a bank in 2022. It's much harder than, you know, Lehman's did it in 2008. So I wouldn't wouldn't quite suspect that Credit Suisse will have the same effect as Lehman Brothers, even though we were, we are expecting... They are in trouble. And I wonder why why are they in trouble? Oh, they're in absolutely serious trouble, but so is Deutsche Bank, so are some of the Italian banks. Again, these banks are very highly leveraged. They have not really restructured since the crisis of 2008. They're holding a lot of government bonds. Well, I mean, one of their main problems with Credit Suisse was in 2021, I think we covered this previously, actually, a major hedge fund went bust and left Credit Suisse with sort of six, seven uh, billion of losses. So that's where the problem started. But one thing I would say is the banking system has a lot more reserves than it did in 2008. So I'm not expecting the crisis. And the same thing about the housing market. We're not expecting the same type of crisis in 2008. But where I would suspect there's going to be major problems is the places we aren't looking, just like the pension funds we just discussed, the reinsurance companies, the private equity companies. These are all leveraged companies. And when interest rates have moved from 0 to 4%, they are going to have trouble refinancing their debts. I mean, just to show you about, uh, say, the dollar, 
I mean, the dollar is at its 20, well, over a 20 year high on the dollar index. I think it's at a 37 year high against sterling. You know, um, some of the countries, most of the countries in the emerging markets have borrowed in dollars. Okay. So it's very, very hard for them to pay back. So you've got all the emerging market, uh, countries right. are really having problems paying back their debt. Like some of their bonds have fallen 50% this year, just on the basis. So the dollar is a wrecking ball going around the whole world economy. And the problem with that is, who's going to bail out these countries? The IMF. So the US, the US is exporting the trouble through the dollar, but it's actually going to have to bail them out through the IMF. Now, what happens next? I mean, what are the things, the signs to look out for? There, there are, there's huge focus in this part of the world, on the UK, but the EU also. Uh, where is the EU on on all of this, uh, Paul? Uh, does it do, does it matter? Is it in trouble? It it does matter because the the ECB basically has been hanging back. Okay, so the ECB is full of doves, as they say. You know, uh, the Lagarde and Lane comedy show has been going on for quite a while now, which is they never saw inflation. They don't believe inflation is here. Then you know, inflation is transitory. Now they're saying they might put up interest rates a little bit to calm inflation. But the problem here is these central banks have got two choices. They can put up in, uh, interest rates to ca to calm inflation as such, even though I'm not sure that that's going to work. But obviously, it's going to kill the economy because we're going. We're in a global uh, slowdown at the moment, or else they can just hang back and, and hope for the best sort of thing. And that's basically what the ECB is doing. They're hoping for the best. And they're basically saying, we don't care if inflation is going to be here for a long time. But of course, for the consumer, for the man on the street, this is an absolute killer because we know food inflation is going up. We know energy price inflation is going up and wages are not going up at the same time. So these central banks have got themselves into an unbelievable mess. But I would go back to it again is this is all to do with their reckless behavior for the past 10 years, an epic misallocation of resources and capital that has gone on for 10 years. And it's the biggest bubble we've ever seen. And this bubble is starting to deflate now. And the central banks are in a really tough situation because they don't know whether to put up interest rates because of inflation. Or, I mean, basically what they should be doing now is we're in the middle of a crisis. They should be lowering in interest rates now. But because interest rates have been so low for so long, they have, they're running out of ammunition or they have run out of ammunition. Tell me this, Paul. If inflation is running at the rates it's running at somewhere between uh, 8 and 10%. Um, That's correct. Why are banks not increasing interest rates on deposits? Yeah, well, we'll, we'll see this quite a lot, actually. Now, first of all, sorry, just about in inflation. I need to be uh, clarify this. I would believe that inflation has already peaked. I know it's not in the numbers yet, but we believe that it's already peaked. It takes a long time. But these central banks are looking at lagging indicators through this data. Yes. So just for your, just for your example, crude oil is down 40% from its highs earlier in the year. Used car sales down 13%. Global freight index is down 57% this year. And rents have started falling in the US as well. So just to clarify, we think inflation has peaked, but it's just because it's peaked doesn't mean it's going to come straight back down below 2%. But to answer your question about, um, uh, sorry, what was your question? Well, about people who have, Money on deposit in banks, yeah. Um, yeah. and they've been getting zero interest forever. Uh, yeah. And now that banks are putting interest rates up and uh, inflation is here and everyone's putting interest rates up, why are depositors in banks not getting more in terms of interest? 
Yeah, it is a very good question. But banks obviously will just put up their interest rates for depositors very gradually because obviously their margins increase. If in, if interest rates are going up and they're lending at higher interest rates and they keep their deposit rates low, their margins increase. And that's what put, put me in my mind about the inflation because we would expect to see this in lots of different types of companies as well. Just don't think about banks as well. So for an example... Fertilizer and food pr prices are starting to fall, okay? But food inflation in the shops is not falling, okay? Yes. But the inputs are falling. So what we would expect is some companies are going to make hay while the sun shines here in early 2023 and make super normal profits. Because basically what's happened is they've passed on the price increases already, but they're going to get price decreases as they come through the system. Which they won't pass on. But which they won't pass on. So exactly the same as banks. Companies will do that for a long period of time. It's called a ratchet economy where people will put up prices, but they won't lower them again. I mean, when we've seen that even, you know, with oil prices, you know, and gas prices or whatever, you know, is oil, you know, oil prices for, for up to two weeks ago were trading below where they were at the start of the uh, war. But yet, we're still getting this message across that you're paying high oil prices because there's a war in, in the Ukraine. And oil prices were trading lower. Now, they did go up 11% last week because of OPEC+. Plus. But it's just a way to find... And that's very... Uh, it was a very good question because it's all investors need to be watching out for those companies that might do well, actually, in that type of environment where their input costs are falling, but the, 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 the end prices are not falling. And we might see that in 2023. What's the next big sign to look for, Paul? Well, as we said in April, we're expecting very big things to break in this financial system. I don't actually believe you can put up interest rates at the pace and the speed that these central banks are doing without something breaking. And I would, I would also suggest that they won't pivot unless something breaks or unless there's a crisis. Most people think they're going to pivot because inflation is going to dissipate. I would question that narrative. I think they're going to pivot because the financial stability of the financial system is going to call into question. And what do I mean by that? Well, we would suspect way more problems with pension funds. We would expect Japan to have a big problem. The Japanese bond market, I think, is the canary in the coal mine. We, we can see that lots and lots of emerging markets are going to have to be bailed out or restructuring their debt. And that's a big problem for the IMF. And that's also a big problem for China because China's lent them a lot of money. And right. while I think about the IMF... And the Chinese the have their own economic problems. They've had their own housing crash, the zero COVID way of attacking the COVID uh, virus isn't working. And they, for so long, the Chinese were believed to be managing things brilliantly and their economy very strong. That's not the case right now, is it? Yeah, that's correct. The Chinese economy is slowing very badly. And if you again go back to sort of 2008, 9 and 10, it was very different then. And the Chinese economy helped the world economy to recover because it was actually doing quite well. It's not the case this time. The COVID zero policy has been an absolute disaster. And yes, they have a major, major problem in the housing market. But don't forget that housing market problem has been bubbling since 2016. I would expect it to be a long drawn out process and not a blow up like many people right. are suggesting. But what I want to mention last was about the IMF. It just came into my head there because, you know, when you're talking about the UK and the IMF, the yeah. UK came in, uh, yes. uh, the IMF came in and warned the UK about how reckless they were. Well, you want to watch it because I don't think the IMF made that statement anything to do with the UK. That was a shot across the bows for Italy. The IMF made that yes. statement because the new government it Italy came in. And they were, they are afraid that they're going to start spending just like the UK government came in. So when they made that statement, it was really nothing to do with uh, 
Yes. The UK, but all to do with Italy. And Italy is, what, the seventh or eighth largest economy in the world, is it? Yeah, Italy's been struggling for many, many years. Yes. Even as we, we were recovering, the debt pile in Italy is absolutely massive. But again, what I would caution you with is those debts are all sitting on banks' balance sheets, on pension fund balance sheets, on company balance sheets. They're all sitting there with these bonds, happy to play the Ponzi scheme that's been going on for years, and interest rates have moved now very, very aggressively. So there is going to be lots of people taking losses, but we just don't know where all the bodies are buried so far. Okay, Paul, we're very grateful to you, as always, for talking to us. I will just let our listeners know about your uh, autumn course, which is called Investing, an Educational Masterclass. It's an intensive one-week online course. It starts on Monday, October the 17th, which is next uh, Monday. And if you're interested in it, you can get a 50% discount if you're a listener to the stand. And to contact Paul, you can email info at sam.ie info at sam.ie and you'll get the details of the course there. Well, we're very grateful to you for joining us, even if you weren't bringing good news. Uh, this is going to be uh, a long, hard winter and maybe longer than just the winter. Yeah, one, one thing I would say to investors, you know, people who are watching it, you just got to expect volatility, expect drawdowns, but expect opportunities and overall expect social unrest. That's what we've been expecting that the markets, we have changed into a different environment. And if you can get your head around the new environment, I think you'll do very well as an investor. But if you're still one of these hoping, hoping of the masses, guys, hoping for everything to come back the way it was a couple of years ago, I think you're going to get a sucker punch, uh, just, you know, a Mike Tyson-esque sucker punch. Okay, Paul, thank you very much indeed for joining us. That's financial analyst, uh, market analyst, uh, Paul Somerville. We're grateful to Paul, to all of you for listening. That's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs>